Wow, that sounded great from up here. It sounded wonderful this morning. Kids, you're dismissed for Children's Church at this time. And let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Hopeless people find help in the Lord. You know, this fact is as much a part of Scripture as any other truth that we'll find. God is a God of redemption and transformation, and God seeks those that the world considers to be hopeless, and He seeks to change them, to make them into people who know Him, who live for Him, and who are transformed by the power of His Word. This morning, we're going to meet a person who many would have looked at and said, man, he is beyond hope and way beyond help. Many would have looked at the individual and the story that we're looking into this morning and said he's too evil, he's too wicked, he's too committed to following the things of darkness. How could anyone possibly reach him? And yet, what do we find? Time and time and time again, God takes people just like this and he forgives them and he changes them. No one is beyond hope. No one is beyond the help of God. And that's the beauty of the message of the gospel, isn't it? That God takes broken people, changes their lives, and makes them new people in Christ Jesus. We can look at many throughout history who fit this bill. The man who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton, was a slave trader. He was a self-described man committed to debauchery, and yet... God took him and changed him. He wrote one of the most beloved hymns that we sing. And he turned out to be a wonderful preacher of the gospel. Many, including himself, would have considered him to be too far gone. But the grace of God reached him, transformed him, and made him someone who touches the hearts of generations with what he taught about God's truth. Today, as we come to this fifth chapter, though, what we're going to see is how God takes this man and changes him so that an entire community sees the transformation that God makes. What we want to see is that God delivers the hopeless by the power of his word. Now, if you're new to us in the bulletins, there are some outlines, there's fill in the blanks if you care to follow along, if not, just listen. But what we want to understand first and foremost is this, God delivers the hopeless by the power of his word. Look at what we find as we come to this first verse of Mark chapter 5. We find a man who was a demonic, he was completely and totally under the influence of demons, and this demonic power held him in complete bondage. Look at how Mark describes this man's life. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him, and this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? Here's a man who, through no 
control of himself, but controlled by demons, was able to break chains, could do nothing but cry out and harm himself. Here was a man that the community had looked at and said, this man is beyond hope. All we can hope to do is somehow bind him and contain him and get him away from the community. We don't want him near us. We don't want to have put up with the behavior. And we're frightened by him. We find him to be a man that is so objectionable, we need to exclude him from society. And so what did they do? They consigned him to the tombs. They decided to take this man and put him someplace where people wouldn't normally go, the tombs that were right next to the lake, and that was where he would wander. That was where he would be. This man was in a terrible place. And yet, what do we find? We find that the Lord Jesus Christ had a divine appointment with this man. As we'll see, the Lord Jesus Christ came from across the lake, some eight miles away, to see this man. Remember, the first verse says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, what we find on this map is Lake Galilee, that little blue dot right there in the middle. And Jesus would have traveled from across the lake to Geresa. And what we find is this man had this divine appointment with the Lord Jesus Christ where Christ was coming to deliver him from the demonic influence that had so made his life a catastrophe. We find that Jesus Christ is amazing in his ability to transform and to deliver. Where the community, as I said, had given up on him, had consigned him to the tombs, had sought to chain him, had tried to look at him and say, this man has no place in our society or with people. Let's get him away. Jesus came directly to see him and to change his life. And you know, that's a picture of the heart of God, isn't it? God has a heart for the helpless and the hopeless. As a pastor, as I've talked to people about the gospel, I've often heard them say, don't talk to me, I'm beyond hope, I'm beyond help. I'm too far gone, so don't even bother. Listen, God bothers. God cares. God wants to see people delivered who are bound by sin. This man had a particular kind of sin. He had yielded his life to demons. Now, we don't know exactly how this came about. Perhaps this man was into some sort of a pagan religion. What we find in the area that the man lived in is something very interesting. This was a Gentile area. There were ten cities that were given over to the Gentiles, and so Gentiles, being non-Jews, didn't really worship the God of the Bible. They worshipped idols. They worshipped anything that had spiritual power. And perhaps this man had become so involved in idol worship that he yielded his heart to the demons that are behind the idols. You see, what we realize from Scripture is this. When a person worships something other than God, it's not just an inanimate object. They are worshiping something that has a spiritual power behind it. Behind idolatry is demonic deception. And so here is this man, he consigns himself to these demons, he asks for their power, and what we find in many places where demons are more prominent, demons love to intimidate people and impress them with their spiritual power. 
So this man, no doubt, saw the spiritual power that was available to him through the demons, and he had yielded his heart to them and invited them to take control of his life. And that's exactly what they did. But, you know, here's what we must realize. Evil will often hold out promises to us. It will often tell us you have power, you have freedom, nothing there to bind you or control you, and it's a lie. It's a horrible deception. This demonic influence isn't there to free, it's there to bind. And it takes a person's life, controls it, directs it away from God, and ultimately away from good, away from people, away from anything. It's a destructive force in the life of the individual. So what we find with this man is that destructive force, this spiritual stronghold, had taken residence in his life. But Jesus Christ came to deliver him from that stronghold. And you know, we find the same thing is true for us. Jesus Christ comes to deliver us from the things that bind us, from the things that would keep us from knowing God, experiencing His love, having a relationship with Him. The writer of Hebrews says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, He, referring to Jesus Christ, too, shared in their humanity. In other words, Jesus Christ existed as God, took on human flesh. So, He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery to the fear of death. Satan loves to intimidate, to have people cower in fear. And so what the Word of God tells us is this. Jesus Christ came to deliver us from that bondage and from that fear, to set us free. What we're going to see is this man experienced the power of Christ's transformation. First John says this. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So again, this freedom that Christ gives us frees us from the bondage that we would have to Satan and all of his power. All of the forces that would seek us to move away from God, to do that which is wrong, to do that which is evil, Jesus Christ came to deliver us from these. And certainly, that's what we find with Christ in the case of this man. Possessed by these devils to do wrong, to do evil, Christ came and met the man's need head on. Look at what we find as we move into the 6th through 10th verses. The dominion, the power of Jesus over demons is revealed. Look at this 6th verse. When he saw Jesus from a distance, now this is referring to the man who had been chained and bound and sent off to the tombs to be by himself so that society wouldn't have to deal with them. Look at what happens. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now what's going on? Well, first, the insight. When the man came up to him, according to the 8th verse, Jesus said, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Jesus' purpose was announced right at the beginning. 
I am here to deliver this man from the demonic influence that has held him in bondage all of his life. I'm here to deliver him. And he made that known in no uncertain terms to the man and to the demons who possessed him. But then, look at what the demons do. Verse 6. First of all, they compelled the man to run and fall on their knees in front, on his knees in front of them. Why? Why would demons want this man to fall on his knees in front of Jesus? Demons are evil. Why would they respond to Jesus in that way? Well, let me just share this with you. Falling on their knees wasn't an act of worship. It was an act of homage. They recognized that there was one who was superior to them. One who was an authority over them. So when these demons saw Jesus, they couldn't come up and kind of cavalierly stand in front of them. This was one who could judge them on the spot and send them to the abyss. They recognized that. So rather than intimidating with fear as they had all of the people around this man in their region, they were intimidated by the power and authority of Jesus Christ. They recognized his superiority. So they fell on their knees in the person of this man. And notice the scripture continues in verse 7. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Now, why is it every time we've gone through Mark, demons immediately recognize Jesus as the Son of God? It's because they know who he is. But there may be something else more dynamic going on in them calling Jesus by name and identifying who he is. You see, there was a belief in Jesus' day that if you would name somebody, that you would gain advantage over them and have a spiritual power over them. Many commentators believe, and I agree with them, that this was a vain attempt by the demons to somehow back Jesus down by saying his name and saying who he was, trying to gain power over Jesus by the use of his name. Now, it was a vain attempt, but the demons were making that attempt nonetheless. And it's sort of borne out by what they say immediately following their identification of him. Notice the demons immediately say, swear to God that you won't torture me. Their objective was to take Jesus and put him in a place to where he had to do what they asked. Now, of course, Jesus didn't have to do anything they asked. But their attempt was there nonetheless. And you know, this shows us something about a spiritual battle that can take place in a person. Listen, when a person is under the influence of demonic forces... The demonic forces don't want to let go easily. They want to hang in there. They want to stay. They will try anything that they can possibly try to keep control of this person's life. And so that's what they were trying to do with Jesus. But there's a problem. These are demons. Jesus is God in the flesh right before them. They have no power over Jesus. Nothing that they say can in any way stop Jesus or halt him or stall him. Jesus didn't have to do anything that they asked. But there's also something else that we find reading between the lines. You know, when the demons ask Jesus not to torment them, you know what that is an admission of? Jesus has the power to judge them. 
that at any point Jesus could call down judgment on them and deal with them as he sees fit. That's the power of Jesus' word. They recognized it. And so here are these demons trying to figure out a way of escape. But then look at the ninth verse. After the demons identify Jesus, Jesus asks them, what is your name? Now, what he did was turn the tables on the demons. The demons were saying, I have identified your name. I think I now have some sort of power and advantage over you. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. And I'm going to know your name. And so he asks them. And look at the response of the demons. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. What we find is a demonic stronghold in the life of this man. He was not possessed by one demon, but by many. Now, a few weeks ago when we were considering demon possession, we looked at it. Hollywood has a bizarre picture of what demon possession is. And it makes movies about people that do all kinds of weird things, climb up walls, go across the ceiling, make weird faces, all of that. that, that that's nonsense. The idea of demon possession is that a demon takes hold of a person, and if it suits their purpose for that person to be scary and intimidating, then that's what they are. In many of the third world countries, we'll see demons with very high profiles, and they intimidate the people around them so that those people will follow what they want them to follow. They will be intimidated into subjugation. But what we find very often, too, in places like our end of the world our demons keep a lower profile because it suits their purposes to do so. You see, we live in a secular society. In our society, the whole idea of there being spiritual powers that exist outside the realm of the natural, that's a bunch of nonsense. We don't believe in that. We don't want to look at that. We think that's, that's ridiculous. So what do demons do? Yeah, great, I'll, I'll feed your idea that there's only secular things, that, that there's no spiritual things, because if you start entertaining the idea of spiritual things, you might start entertaining the idea of God, and we just soon you not think about him. The idea of demons is they do what is expedient, what accomplishes their purpose. And in the life of this man, their purpose was to intimidate, to empower, to keep the rest of the Gentiles so afraid of demons that they would follow whatever religion they were following in order to keep away from the message that Jesus Christ would bring. And that's what we'll see transpires as we go through this story. So here is this demon, or these demons. They're called legion because there are many. And by the way, a Roman legion contained some 6,000 soldiers. Now, we don't know that there were 6,000 demons in this man, but what we do know is this, there were many. And so here is this man completely existing as a stronghold for demon activity, so much so that earlier in the text he was described as running around screaming and cutting himself. Sometimes the cutting of their flesh was a way of following a pagan rite. And this man is completely, completely under the power of these demons until he meets Jesus. And that brings us to our next point. The dynamic power of Jesus changes lives. 
He destroys the demonic strongholds. Now I apologize for this hokey picture. It was the best one I could find of demons going into the lake, or excuse me, pigs going into the lake. But let's, let's uh, look at what the scripture says as we continue in the text. Look at verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Now, let me just point out, here's a clue that we're in a Gentile area. <laughs> a large herd of pigs. In the area. Bear in mind, under Jewish law, eating pork was forbidden. I am so thankful we're no longer under the law, by the way. <laughs> Bacon and pulled pork. You know. But at any rate, <laughs> under the law, that was not permissible, right? And the Jewish people detested swine and they detested people who ate swine. And so what we find is a curious dynamic. You have Jesus and his disciples, all Jews, coming into a Gentile area. The Jews didn't have much use for the Gentiles and frankly the Gentiles didn't have much use for the Jews. And yet, look at the heart of God coming to this area reaching out to the lost, carrying the message of the gospel to people that would have rejected them. Here is the heart of God. And so what happens? Here are these pig farmers, pig cowboys or pig boys or whatever you want to call them, and they have this herd of pig feeding on the hillside. And so look at verse 12 uh, Demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd was about 2,000 in number. And it rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now this is an amazing story when you look at it. These demons, first of all, begged Jesus to not be disembodied. Don't just send me out. Demons did not want to be disembodied. They wanted to be somewhere where they could possess someone or something. And if Jesus wouldn't send them into other people, which Jesus would not do, then pigs would do. And so they were asking, requesting, rather than being disembodied spirits, let us go into these pigs. And Jesus did. But here's the amazing thing. Rather than being delivered, they were still destroyed. Because when they went into the pigs, the pigs rushed down the hill into the water and drowned. 2,000 of them. It gives us a perspective for how many demons inhabited this one man. Frightening, isn't it? But it does something else. Suppose Jesus just said to the man, okay, you're delivered. And the man behaves okay for a little bit. What could people say? People could say, well, you know... I think the demons are just playing along, and as soon as Jesus leaves, you know, right back to where he was. By visually seeing the effect that the exit of the demons had in going into the pigs, and then the pigs running into the water, people were able to see that Jesus indeed delivered this man, and it was irrefutable evidence that Jesus had broken this demonic stronghold. It was something that amazed people as they saw it. And you know, Jesus still delivers people. 
today. The same Jesus that delivered this man from 2,000 demons can deliver you from your personal demons, the things that hold you, the things that would draw you into sin and behavior that you don't want to engage in. God delivers. And Jesus' deliverance of this man is just one of many. Jesus delivers helpless and hopeless people And he can deliver you as well. That's the beauty of this story. Now, what we find as we continue in this passage, though, is something amazing. His dynamic power demonstrates his power to change lives. Look at verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And people went out to see what had happened. Now, Isn't this kind of a standard operating procedure early on in Jesus' ministry? Jesus would do something amazing. Word would get around, and people were just interested in what was going on. They had to come and see who did this amazing thing. They wanted to see for themselves. So that's exactly what they did. Once these pig farmers went back and told the people what Jesus did, they came to see. So they were waiting, and they were looking, and they wanted to see what Jesus would do. And then look at verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now look at the transformation of this man. Before, they couldn't keep clothes on him. They couldn't keep chains on him. He was someone who was wild. He wouldn't sit still for an instant. And now they come and the man is fully clothed and in his right mind. I've often used that to describe people who are behaving themselves. They're fully clothed and in their right minds. But that is so much more than what is going on here. You know, I mean, what's going on here is so much more. This person was transformed by the power of Jesus' word. He was completely changed. And you know, that's what we find when Jesus changes lives. The change is evident. We find that Jesus is there to transform people. That's why the New Testament says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This is what Jesus does to transform us. He changes us. He makes us someone completely new by the power that he has to transform And that's what we find with this man. They're fully clothed in his right mind. But what we see as we continue in this text is something amazing. The 15th verse says this, When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, fully dressed in his right mind. And look at their response. They were afraid. Now, rather than looking at the man and saying, Wow, isn't that great? This man has been changed. We no longer have to deal with this guy that's crazy, running around, cutting himself, screaming in the middle of the night, keeping us up all night, and keeping us away from this region because we're so afraid of him. Rather than being afraid of the demons, now they're afraid of Christ. And isn't it amazing some of the parallels between this and the story of Jesus and the disciples? The disciples were caught in the midst of a storm. This man 
was possessed by demons, both of them in hopeless situations. And then, what do we find? Jesus Christ speaks and calms the storm. Jesus Christ speaks, and the demons are cast out of this man. And then the response of the disciples, where they had been afraid of the storm, after Jesus calmed the storm, remember what they said? Who is this that even the waves obey his word? And now the disciples are afraid. And what do we find with these people? Basically, they're asking the same question, who is this that brought this man to a place of calmness and peace by the very power of his word? You see, Mark is giving us a cluster of stories that talks about how God helps people in hopeless situations. First, there was the storm with the disciples, and now here is the storm in this man's life, a spiritual storm that was bringing catastrophe to his life. Jesus was changing that. So here are these people. They see this. They're afraid. And what we find is this. There are different responses by people to Jesus' power. For some, it's kind of disquieting because his power changes lives and they look at it and they say, that kind of power kind of scares me. It kind of freaks me out. Have you ever noticed this? For some of you who have trusted Christ as your Savior, maybe you lived a pretty wild life. And when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were changed. And those friends that were very comfortable with you when you lived the wild life, now that a change has taken place, they look at you and they go, what? Now, this is weird. And I'm not sure how comfortable I feel with this because this person has changed so much, it's, it's a little scary, you know. Maybe they'll get over it. But right now I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I, I, I'm not sure I'm into this. This is weird. This is frightening. And they start to distance themselves from you because of the change that takes place. Well, these people distanced themselves from Jesus. We left the 15th verse with it saying that they were afraid. And then look at verse 16. Those who had seen it told people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs as well. And then look at verse 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now, once again, rather than looking and saying, wow, here is somebody who transformed a man who was helpless and hopeless. What did they say? Get him out of here. Now, some of them, it might have been a financial issue. We don't want to lose our pigs, too. But for others, I think there was an actual fear of the power of Jesus Christ and the change that that can bring. And you know, there are many people who fear the change that Jesus Christ can bring. They would rather look at their own lives and say, at least what's going on in my life is something I understand and that I'm comfortable with. And I don't want to have to change. I want to stay, even if it's miserable, where I am. Have you ever met someone like that? There are scads of them out there in misery that could be delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ, but they prefer to stay where they are, and they want to send Jesus away. This group of people rejected Jesus. But then we find something else. Look at verse 18, and we find that this man declares his power, and Jesus declares the power of his own self through those he has changed. 
Look at verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, Go to your family and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. What was this man's responsibility? God had changed him. And you know what God did? God said in the person of Jesus Christ, Now, don't go off with the disciples and with Jesus where it's comfortable. Stay in the area you are and preach the gospel. Tell others what God has done for you. And you know, that's a call to all of us as believers. Somebody has described evangelism as beggars showing other beggars where the bread is. Well, this man was telling people how God changed, how God transformed his life, and how God could change their lives as well. And that's a calling that God gives to you and to me as followers of Jesus Christ. Not to grab someone by the collar and hold them down and preach in their face, but more the idea of talking about how God changed our lives and what he means to us. It's a beautiful way of communicating God's truth. And that's what this man did. He was communicating God's truth. And we don't know what happened. We don't know how many people responded to his message, but we do find this, which is a little bit interesting. Not the uh, slide I anticipated, obviously. Look on your outlines at Mark chapter 7, or turn with me to Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And what we find in Mark chapter 7, verse 31, is this. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. Now, where was this man sharing his story? In the region of Decapolis, right? And look at what we find in verse 32. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. Now, isn't that a transformation? We find them begging him to leave in verse 16 of Mark chapter 5 and then coming to him in Mark chapter 7. You see, I believe that Jesus sending this man did groundwork so that people were more receptive to the gospel. We never know how our story can affect someone else. We never know how the words of what Jesus has done for us will touch the heart of other people. The man that Jesus transformed, I believe, had an effect. So what do we find in this story? It's so much more than a man who's possessed with demons. It's a story about how God takes helpless and hopeless people and changes their lives, delivers them from bondage, frees them to know him, and live in freedom from that which binds you. You know, maybe this morning there's something that binds you. Maybe there's something in your life that you're looking at and saying, I just can't get deliverance from this. It's held me in bondage. Jesus Christ can and will free you by the power of his word. All it takes is you yielding your heart to Jesus Christ asking him to forgive you of your sins and then asking him to make you into the kind of person that he wants you to be. The beauty of the gospel is this. 
It's not the power that we have to transform ourselves. We would all fail. The power of the gospel is yielding to the transforming ministry and power of Jesus Christ and watching him work in us to make us new people in him. It's available to any. Listen, there's no one that's too far gone. There's no one that's helpless and hopeless to the point that God looks at them and says, I want nothing to do with this person. God has a heart that reaches out and says, here's your deliverance. Here's your freedom. I make it available to you. That's what God says. And it's available to you this morning. Let's have a word of prayer together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this true story. We thank you for the deliverance that took place in the heart of this man. And Father, my prayer is that if there are those who are bound this morning, that you would release them from that bondage through the power of Jesus Christ. May they yield their hearts to you and find that release May they find a personal relationship with you, God, by turning in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sin that they might be set free. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the promise of change that Christ gives. And we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.